I V M. Hello and welcome to Voices for Water. There is nothing more alarming to our existence than climate change, and water happens to play a very critical role in the same. In this episode, I spoke to Maya Chandrasekhar. Maya is an expert at scaling companies that change lives and operates at the unique confluence of climate innovation and investment. She is the co-founder and managing partner of Green Artha Innovations, a climate investment and innovation firm. Maya was also part of the founding leadership that scaled babajob.com into India's largest tech-enabled livelihood platform which will secure meaningful work for over 10 million people in just 7 years. Maya also co-founded and continues to actively run the 300 plus member Women in Investing Network and is a mentor to several startups and impact groups. I spoke to Maya about the relationship between water and climate change. The concept of just transition the state of the climate finance ecosystem in india and how frugal innovations beckon hope for a climate resilient future welcome to voices for water podcast maya how are you doing where are you talking to us from i'm doing very well i'm actually joining you from today cold and snowy berlin and i would really enjoy a cup of filter coffee right now just good to say <laughs> i'll make sure i at least send you the link though i can't help with the with the actual coffee this is interesting because we usually on this series voices for water we focus on water but we're going to talk about climate change and and climate innovation today but at the outset why is water an important theme uh, when when we're talking climate can you set the context for us yeah so i don't really see that water is something that needs to be kept very distinct from climate i think there are sort of definitions of what fits within climate innovation what fits within clean tech innovation these are all kind of definitions that have evolved over the last couple of years but let me give you a sense of where kind of i and we come from as a firm and when i say we i mean green artha the the firm that i co-founded a couple of years ago our focus is really is on climate and environment and so there very clearly water is a very critical component of anything that you would consider part of the environment and our additional focus is on what are the innovations that are needed so i think there could be a fallacy in trying to be very prescriptive about saying that i only focus on climate tech or clean tech our right. focus is on any innovations that essentially keep warming down to under the 2 degrees help abate co2 emissions and make the planet livable and inclusive for as many people as possible is what we would look at from an innovation perspective and if you would think of it those kind of guiding principles in mind access to water and water security is a critical component right and, and just so you know a layman like me sort of understand this better when we say climate innovation are we necessarily talking about technological advancements when it comes to climate control is that how one should understand it i think we should understand innovation in as broad a term as possible this is again something that we feel very strongly about at greener which is that there are obviously there is a need for deep foundational technology and innovation so that's kind of what you call fundamental technology but at the same time that is insufficient you also need innovations around processes you need innovations around business models you need innovations right. around operations because all of these coming together is really what we would consider innovations being used in the market 
an innovation sitting by itself in a lab is not very impactful. Yeah. But if there is something that exists at the foundational technology level and that can then be applied to the market because of certain business model innovations, that's deeply impactful. And Green Artha is in itself an innovation engine. But if you were to look at what is happening in India, what are some of the interesting things you're seeing around, around climate innovation? Is India playing a big role in this space? India is playing a massive role and India has to play a massive role. Number of reasons. One is we are obviously one of the largest growing economies just in terms of the number of people and while our per capita sort of environmental footprint is low, that is that each person individually consumes still very little by global standards. When you put us together at 1.4 billion, we represent a very significant portion of, for example, where you know our, our carbon budget would be. And therefore, you know, from that perspective, it is critical that India plays an important role, but also just from the opportunity perspective. India already does and can play an, like a, a leadership role around climate and clean tech because we have all of the key pieces around it. If you think about innovation, innovation comes from constraints and it comes from problem statements. It comes from need areas. We have yeah. the problem statements in India, every single one of them across air, water, land, waste. We have very clear problem statements. We also have great talent. And what we have in India is this very interesting thing called frugal innovation, which is that we have talent over here that's able to either from scratch build something or take something that has been tested and proven in a lab, perhaps somewhere else, but really contextualize that, create a business model around it, make it market viable such that it gets traction in India. And if something gets traction in India, essentially have an ability to address the global south and you've already created something that is, you know, very feasible to be scaled in other markets because scaling in India is the challenge. Once you have that, every other market is achieved. Yeah, we seem to have the tendency, you know, which often gets described by a word I almost borderline hate, which is which is jukard, because that has a lot of a negative connotation. Yeah, but no, I don't. Do I'm it. not calling frugal innovation jugard at all. This is a right. very jugard has a very ad hoc kind of yeah. uh, on the fly aspect to it. This is very specific to you know entrepreneurs and innovators understanding the market understanding kind of the ecosystem the dynamics the stakeholders what is needed from a commercialization perspective and then building very much for that so to come back right. to your original question both india has the need to lead and india has very much the ability and we see lots of activity and action we see great solutions coming out of india we're also seeing increasingly great ecosystems of support for climate innovators. Yeah, the switching tracks, there, there seems to be a lot of terms that one needs to understand to fully appreciate everything that goes on right, in this. And one of the phrases I came across is the concept of just transition. Right? Can you break this down for us and help us understand what implication does it have on water and on communities in general? So let me start with just transitions. Essentially, there are a number of transitions that like specific types of industries will have to make in order to become part of the green economy. And there are some industries which might become increasingly more redundant. Some aspects, for example, of mining, some aspects of the fossil fuel industry. But the nuance around that is that these are also industries that provide significant employment and livelihood. So I think the important piece to think about when we are looking at a country like India and how we transition to a green economy is all of the various stakeholders who get impacted in that process and how does that transition become 
sort of, but how does that essentially get buffered for those at the bottom of the pyramid for whom, you know, the additional supports have not been created, other types of skilling have not been created, other types of jobs have not been created. So that's kind of the, the critical piece. From a water perspective, I think some of the things that people are thinking about in kind of the perspective of just transitions is how can you help the communities who are at the bottom of the pyramid, for example, derive their livelihoods, let's say, from coastal areas which are impacted, which is obviously a water theme. How can you help them essentially adapt to some of these new realities? How can you help water security? So water security is something that sooner rather than later, every single agricultural worker has to deal with, right? Drought and essentially your lands not being able to provide as much. So how can you help them also essentially transition from what they are doing right now, which may be a heavy sort of water input crop to something that is more uh, local and native and is also more, you know, water efficient. There are many aspects of what could be done, but in principle, it is about thinking about those at the bottom of the pyramid and how in our shift to a green economy, we're making sure that they are included, supported, and also enabled to participate equally. And how realistically possible is that, you know, especially from a, from, from an Indian perspective to, to ensure a just transition? Because it seems like a, like a fairly difficult balance to achieve, isn't it? As you talk of moving from one sort of a paradigm into the other. Are you hopeful? I'm hopeful. I mean, you called it out. It is very challenging just because of a number of different things. In India, size is massive. You know, obviously, there are many, many different stakeholders who need to come together to make these things happen. But I don't think there's a way for us. We are the largest democracy in the world. So I don't think there's a way for us to move forward without taking some of these considerations into, you know, our reckoning and without working alongside with communities. The other thing that does make me hopeful is just the fact that there is so much conversation around just transitions. The starting point is awareness and kind of an understanding that this is a specific issue that needs to be treated with focus. It's not something that will just happen by itself. It needs to be factored into the design of any kind of change management system that's being created, right? So I think there is that fact. There is also the fact that, like I said, we are a democracy, so people have a voice and that voice does get heard. That voice does get exercised. And there are great organizations on the ground that continue to really do great work on focusing on these things. Yeah. I love the sound of the line. It needs to be factored into the design. I think that is the key word there. You know, like I said, I come from advertising and I'm a huge believer that free markets sort of align themselves to challenge and to solve for larger issues in the world that we're facing. Right? But when it comes to climate, I don't know if that has necessarily happened yet. So I want to ask you, what has been your experience in terms of businesses coming together to address climate change? I would say that there are multiple areas where businesses have come together to address climate change, both in the free market and maybe not so much free market angle. So I'll call that out. So from the free market perspective, obviously there are innovations and startups that are addressing specific issues around, uh, let's say, water conservation, water monitoring, water treatment, you know, sticking to the water thing. There are customers that are buying these solutions from them, whether these are industries or, you know, commercial establishments like, for example, an office complex or a mall complex or individuals, so RWAs and resident well associations. So that's kind of on the market side. At the same time, 
increasingly, at least in India, some of the most forward thinking and kind of most progressive corporates have for a while now already started factoring in climate and water specifically as something that they measure from a resilience perspective. So it is something that they very much take into account as they think about how to future-proof their business, where, for example, they would set up new factories or new operations, you know, where they see opportunity, where they see risk. So it is something that is definitely being taken into account from a risk perspective. And then the final piece is, you know, from the, I would say, not so much market side, Clearly, this is something that a lot of funders now, even on the corporate side, are starting to put philanthropic money behind because there are some aspects of mitigation or adaptation work which still don't have kind of a revenue stream or a business model, but are deeply impactful and need to be addressed. And, you know, people are recognizing that and therefore philanthropic rupees towards that. And by that, do you mean the mandatory CSR investments that companies need to make? I would say that there's mandatory and then there are a number of organizations that are doing over and above. They have taken on their own goals, their own targets around being water, sort of water secure, not just having like water sufficiency, but also being water net positive. They've taken on their own targets around, you know, what they're going to do in terms of the surrounding areas that they work in. They've taken on their own carbon emissions targets, moving slightly away from water. So companies are also stepping up and seeing that, you know, there are things that they need to do, which is above and beyond just what is mandated. It's just going a little deeper down this road, right? Because, you know, your organization, Green Earth, works at the very unique confluence of climate technology and finance as well. Finance, yeah. What is the overall climate financing ecosystem look like? Because at some level, I'm assuming the philanthropy of large organizations might be good, but not be good enough for the larger problems we are solving. Right? So this is why I was very excited that you are creating a, a larger investment ecosystem. But how is that ecosystem looking like today? It's a vibrant ecosystem. So I'll start by saying that it, there's a lot of interest in climate, both from the perspective, again, as I said, of opportunity and of risk mitigation. People are seeing both of those as strong, compelling drivers for why they need to be funding in climate. That said, it is nascent. So this is a space that many funders have more recently started looking at. And I'll give you a little bit of color around that, this ecosystem example that you referred to. So Green Artha, about a year and a half ago, created a network called the Climate Capital Network. And we had, you know, a very clear intent around creating that network because we, at that point, were talking to the few funders in India who were looking at climate and realizing that not everyone was connected with each other and people were, didn't have an understanding of how they could collaborate with other funders, whether it's the same type of capital instrument or whether it's a different one. And I unpack that also a little bit because I know that those are technical terms. So there are people who provide debt funding, there are people who provide equity funding and there are people who provide philanthropic funding. In an ecosystem or in a sort of nascent space like climate, there is a need for all three of these, sometimes even all three of them in the same company or in the same innovation. Just maybe in some cases, maybe at different stages, maybe one picks up from the other. Sometimes these two types of fundings have to work together to create impact. Given that, it's very important that these three different types of funders are able to work with each other and the very fundamental piece for that is for people to be aware of who else is in the space, what their mandates are. 
So if, for example, I'm providing equity funding, but I know that my portfolio company is going to need a certain type of debt because that's the way they're going to grow. I don't know who else is providing debt to a company that does water treatment. And that's a big gap that creates inefficiency in the market. So that was, I would say, kind of the impetus to create the network. When we created it, it was, it you know, for a long period of time, there were 15, 20 members. And, you know, we were talking about it for a while and then we launched the network maybe with those 15, 20 members. The network is now 50, 60 members plus all people who are deploying capital focused on India and focused on innovation. And so, you know, I want to call out the fact that this is innovation funding, not later stage funding, which is the kind of funding, for example, that now goes to solar. That's more project funding. That's an innovation that's already been established. And, you know, it's more of a kind of, it's in growth stage. But this is more early stage innovation funding. And many of these funders, a good 70% of these funders have joined the network in the last 12 months, not because, you know, we were coming across them for the first time, but because many of these people are now starting to build climate and a climate focus into their mandates. So these are existing funders for whom climate has become an additional mandate or new funds completely focused on climate. And that just gives a sense of kind of the, the excitement and vibrancy that there is to the market. That said, there are still significant gaps. There are still types of impacts in climate, as I mentioned earlier, that don't necessarily have a revenue stream to them or will take several years of support and funding before they can become market viable. For that, you need patient capital, very often philanthropic funding. One of the things, so we did a survey and we published a report about three, four months ago, and you know, we were just trying to understand the state of the sector. And one of the things that did emerge is while several new funders have emerged with equity funding as their instrument, there are very few new funders who have emerged who do philanthropic funding. This is, you know, this is obviously a gap. And, you know, again, I want to call out the fact that we're talking about innovation funding. CSR is a type of philanthropic funding, but it primarily goes towards specific outcomes. It doesn't go towards the organization and funding kind of their own journey of developing their innovation. The other piece that is missing from a climate finance perspective or underrepresented in India is kind of slightly later stage innovation funding before a company or, you know, a technology is fully at market. So this is what we call, you know, in the VC space, sort of Series B and Series C type of funding. That piece still is sort of underrepresented. And we do obviously need to see a lot more debt because the types of solutions and innovations that are going to be really impactful in the climate are often going to be asset-heavy solutions, hardware. So again, I'll take the example, you know, maybe of water treatment. Water treatment needs reactors. It needs plants. You know, these are tangible assets that need to be financed. And that's not something that, you know, typically gets financed with equity funding. It's something that has to be funded by debt. And so those are the pieces that still need to emerge. And that's kind of the work that we continue to do through the network, which is showcase and highlight where are the gaps and where are the white spaces and who can play in all of those, right? Because it's also important. It's like you have to have horses for courses. You have to understand what different people's motivations are for funding and then align them with the right space. So, for example, asking a debt funder to provide funding for something that clearly is more aligned with philanthropy 
is not going to be a winning proposition for either side. So that's a little bit of the work that we do around hopefully enabling the climate finance ecosystem to move forward and to be more responsive to the needs of Indian climate innovation. Just to clarify the term equity funding for, for the uninitiated, do we mean investments which in return take a stake in the organization? That take a stake and therefore get a certain return after, you know, a certain right. horizon of time. All right. Allow me to ask one more dumb question in this line. I understand, you know, venture funding in technology really well, right? Because there is a certain amount of intelligence market and expertise, which is market yeah. knowledge, uh, preparedness, which, which goes into funding. And then the, the payoff for that is the is the exit, right? When you're when the unicorn goes into IPO, etc. In climate change, what is that exit and how does it work? For me, the exit is that all of us will live, isn't it? Yes, for sure. The exit <laughs> is that as well. But at the same time, to take the same example that you used, if I'm a equity funder, I also have to like, now that I'm living five, ten years later, I have to go back to my LP, who is the person who gave me that money to deploy and both return that money and also return it with a certain addition to that. So there is still obviously a return expectation around this and there are enough, I would say, market opportunities to make that happen. It's again, like I said, nascent. So there are emerging business models. There are some that are not yet ready for kind of equity funding. And there are some business models which will never absorb equity funding because they are steady growth businesses, but are not going to give you kind of the hockey stick growth that you require to make those kinds of returns. So again, it's a question of finding the right type of funding for the right type of business model. Just go down this, uh, to go down this road a little bit more, to assess progress, right, before any of this so-called exit happens. You know, there are different metrics I'm assuming you will measure on whether we're able to move the needle on or not, right? When it comes to climate and water, what will be those metrics? Can you break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, so here's an interesting thing. Again, when we did this survey and we spoke to many, many climate investors and climate funders, there isn't great consensus on what are the metrics that everyone is measuring. So these, there's a terminology and there's a taxonomy that's still emerging in this space where, you know, different funders are potentially looking at different things. But here are a couple of things that I think are important to look at from a water perspective. And I won't go so much into, for example, oceans, but just in terms of, you know, on land water. So there is water, for example, is one. Liters of water saved or conserved is another one. Quality of water, which is, for example, your PPM or, you know, how much contaminants are there in the water. That's another metric that gets measured to. So essentially what you're looking at is what is the quantity of water and what is the quality of water? From both in India and from a world perspective, we obviously care a lot about the quality, but we also need to do a significantly better job in India of reducing the amount of water that we're using in cases that we're being inefficient. So that is a liters of water saved metric. And for the water that's getting used, being much better at reusing it. Um, and that's where liters of water treated comes in as a metric, right? Because there is, we all understand the water cycle. There is a finite amount of water. We need to do a better job of managing it. The other aspect of sort of water management is how much of that water are we able to, the water are we able to save, how much are we able to treat, how much of the water are we able to funnel back into groundwater recharge or into groundwater resources, right? So... This is kind of the overall cycle that you would constantly be looking to track to understand, are you doing a good job of water management? And is this particular innovation impacting any one of those pieces 
of the water management cycle. You know, as you're talking about measurement, I'm tempted to ask, every industry that, that we see around us today is going full throttle on leveraging data, you know, to pursue advances. Right? When it comes to climate change, because outsiders like us might really not know this, where are we on the evolution of data uh, that we need, right? Whether it is in the access to it or whether it is in the our ability to utilize that. How will you rate it on a, I don't, I don't want to ask you this, but how will you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? <laughs> I'm actually going to say that we're fairly low, not in terms of the data generation or even the data analysis, but it's the access and it's the articulation of that data where we need to do a better job. I'm going to break that question up into two pieces because I have also a follow-on kind of very strong opinion as well. So one, it. climate change is obviously, you know, there is an articulation issue, right? We're not doing a good job of articulating kind of exactly where the opportunities are. I think there's been a lot of articulation of where the issues are, where the challenges are. But like our storytelling has been somewhat flawed in terms of where are the opportunities and how can we make that impact. But, and I think that storytelling is therefore what leads to action. So my second point was that data is important but it has to lead to decision-making and action. Data by itself, like if I were to tell you that we have a problem, you know, air quality is bad. And, you know, maybe if you lived in Delhi, this would be even more stark. I would tell you air quality is bad. Would you come back to me and say, yes, quantify it? Or would you come back to me and say, yes, what is the action that we can take? So we need to be able to move from that data to analysis and intelligence and then from that intelligence to actual like decision making and action i think those are the pieces that we need to get a little bit better at and so i think that data by itself is not the issue it's intelligence that gets applied to it and then that intelligence that gets articulated which leads to action i did live in delhi for the last 11 years so i completely resonate with that point but i get it right and and, and talking of delhi i want to shift gears slightly given that we are probably in the, in the last few minutes of the episode. The union finance minister in, in the budget uh, announced something called as the, the Green Credits Program, right? Yep. Can you help us understand what it is and how excited are you about it? So I'll say a couple of things. I'll start off by kind of giving the caveat that I think a lot needs to be understood more in terms of how the green credits will actually work and be operationalized. But at a headline level and at an intent level, it's fantastic. It's basically a very strong and a clear signaling from the government that this is important. This is something that we want to incentivize. And what the government is saying is that we want to be incentivizing all of those people, all of the good actors in the environment kind of ecosystem. So everyone who takes decisions, who kind of operates in a way that is sustainable and environmentally friendly should be acknowledged and should be rewarded appropriately how exactly the green credits are going to be set up and the flow of funds is something that I think we're still waiting to see. But from a signaling perspective, it's a very clear stand. And I think what also makes it very interesting is that, again, like I said before, India is very clearly taking this leadership position on linking green credits also to a kind of this whole sustainable living piece, right? Which is the life essentially template that was also called out recently, which is that we have to live in a sustainable manner. There's a kind of a circularity to the way that we're on this planet. So I would say that it's a very strong and a very powerful signal. That's very hopeful to hear. We were almost out of time. We usually end the episode and uh, every episode in this podcast, we ended by asking our expert 
someone who is listening to this, either a layman or someone who is in this movement with us, what is it that uh, they can do or what is it that they can mobilize their community to do to make an actual difference to climate change? Look, I think everyone can do something over here and it's just at different levels. There are things that you can do around your own individual climate footprint. The starting point obviously is understanding, you know, what you're consuming, what you're extracting, what you're using, how are you managing yourself as an individual, then how are you influencing your community or your company at a larger level. But I think and kind of like just being really aware and reading and listening is a great starting point. But I think the more important thing that I want to call out, which I think we say across the board, is that for young people who are listening over here, it's really about thinking about how can you fit into this from a solutioning perspective. So it's not just about managing, but also proactively creating solutions. To my mind, every job in the future is going to be a climate job. There's going to be some aspect of it. It's either going to be completely in climate or there's going to be some aspect of it that is climate related. So that's an enormous opportunity for young people. And then, you know, I've called this out several times. India has a very unique leadership position to be in. And so I think there's, again, a lot of space for young people to create impact in a place like India. Plus, we have more than enough problem statements to sort of pick and choose from. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maya. And uh, good luck to all the inspiring work that you're pursuing at this point. Thanks, Karthik. Thanks for being on the show. If you like this episode, do check out Season 1 of Voices for Water. You can find it on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including IBM. Voices for Water is brought to you by India Water Portal a globally visited website for stories, knowledge, information and news on rural and urban water in India. See you next week with another insightful conversation on India's water challenges. Thank you.